On this episode, I'm in conversation with Tom and Steve from the Flow Coaching Academy, and I let you know about a new upcoming podcast from Healthcare Improvement Scotland. Hi folks, welcome to the QI Guy in Conversation with podcast. I'm your host and personal improvement advisor, Jonathan O'Reilly. We've got a bumper episode uh, in line for you today, probably one of the longest. So if you're listening to us, will you take the dog for a walk or you go for a run? Well, this might be your motivation to push yourself um, and go a little bit extra distance. But before we get to the conversation with Tom and Steve, I wanted to let you know about a new podcast coming up from the Living Well and Communities team within um, Healthcare Improvement Scotland. They're going to have a podcast that's going to be all about hospital at home called House Call. Sounds pretty cool. Um, they're hoping to use that as a vehicle to connect with more people across not only Scotland, but the rest of the UK and beyond. Um, and the, the, the podcast is going to feature a series of interviews with people supporting um, hospital home um, the first episode is going to be about person-centred care. They're going to be talking to a carer whose relative received care from the Dundee Hospital at Home service. And they've got some great things coming up in the pipeline. And the uh, Leanne from the team is hoping to join me on a future episode to give you a wee bit more uh, information and where you can get that from. So now it's over to my conversation with uh, Tom Downs, the clinical lead for the uh, Flow Coaching Academy, and Steve Harrison, the strategic lead for the Flow Coaching Academy. I had a great conversation with them both that you're about to hear in, in a few a few minutes, and I'm delighted to say that this is a, a the beginning of a kind of collaboration with the Flow Coaching Academy and a series of different podcasts, not only letting you know what the Flow Coaching Academy is and what it does, but actually how that's made a difference in uh, the English healthcare system and also um, in the Northern Irish healthcare system. So you're going to get a real sense over the next two or three um, two or three months, um, some episodes where you can actually tangibly feel how this has, has had an impact. Again, I want to thank Tom and Steve for, for taking the time. We had a conversation that even after I edited, ran to about... Um, I think it was almost 30 minutes, so I'm sure today's episode is going to start with a, a four when it comes to length. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Tom and Steve. So I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Tom Downs, the clinical lead of the Flow Coaching Academy uh, and, and also a consultant uh, physician and geriatrician and also Steve uh, Harrison, who is the strategic lead for the Flow Coaching Academy programme. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi, Jonathan. I'm um, really well, thanks. Hello. Hi, Steve. Uh, great. So um, let's, just, let's just get started. Tom, clinical lead for the Flow Coaching Academy, uh, a bit about your background and, and how how do you become the clinical lead of the Flow Coaching Academy? Um, oh, that's a great question. And where do I start? I could go back 40 <laughs> years and Steve said that many times, but I won't. Um, I think the first the first thing is to have a positive discomfort um, as, as, as a clinician that um, looking around you seeing the system of care um there's so much great about the nhs but having that positive discomfort that it could be better 
um, and then combine that with some really lucky opportunities. The Health Foundation uh, supported me on a fellowship 11 years ago to spend a year at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where I brought back a, a backpack, back, backpack full of new skills and knowledge of quality improvement from the IHI and um, the, was there in Sheffield. And I remember Don Berwick saying, you know, whatever you do, don't go back in and throw that, that backpack onto, onto <laughs> the desk and tell them you're going to sort it all out. Um, go back and, and listen and look around you and wait for people to ask for things. And so um, there was great leadership um, in Sheffield and they asked, um, how can we make the most of this opportunity? And I didn't know the answer to that. So I said, um, make some space for me, give me some time. And um, so I moved from being a full-time consultant geriatrician to half-time a geriatrician and, and half-time leading improvement for Sheffield Teaching Hospitals. And um, that's been a privilege for, for the last 11 years. Wow, that, that, that's great. And um, similar journey to some other people I've connected with in terms of, you know, going off and doing that, that, that fellowship supported by the Health Foundation. Steve, yourself, how did you become the strategic lead? What, what, what exactly is the strategic lead for the Flow Coaching Academy? Well, I suppose to answer that, the strategic lead is as uh, the way that the Flow Coaching Academy works is that it's in, we run it in partnership with the Health Foundation, but it's led out of Sheffield Teaching Hospitals, and I suppose my my re, my role is really to um, establish the direction and support and lead the direction of the academy um, across the country. So um, take that sort of leadership at a strategic level, but it's in, it's actually a collaborative experience. We have ten um, providers already working with us; another two coming on stream soon across the the whole of of, of the UK, and and as as such. Um, it's really a, a sort of networking collaborative role and helping kind of balance the relationship with the with the health foundation and the, the different providers and, and and setting the direction I suppose and supporting the setting of direction so I suppose that's what the role is how did I get to this well I, I came to um, the NHS some 13 years ago I'd actually had a reasonably long career working in uh, retail management in uh, in fairly senior store management positions and uh, moved to the NHS for a change of career. And um, first couple of years I worked in efficiency programmes and I suppose what I worked, noticed as I worked in those first couple of years with some uh, great leaders was that um, we started to get results when we connected with frontline staff. And I did a number of small pieces of work, largely around kind of um, individual department improvement approaches with falls, rheumatology and uh, and uh, haematology. And those small pieces of work, um, connecting with the staff on the ground and making changes made, I think, all of us in the improvement team at that time, I think this is the way forward. We've got to build capability to enable staff who are close to the work to redesign the system. And I think that's that's where it, the, the whole journey started because I started then working as a coach and I was lucky enough to become trained as a, an improvement coach um, a couple of years after I started in, in, in conjunction with Dartmouth uh, in the US who ran a program called E-Coach the Coach at that time, I met Margie Godfrey. And that sort of coaching approach, which is all about helping people to help themselves, um, started us on the journey of improvement coaching. And from that, we then soon ran out of capability, capacity to do that sort of work. So we've, we set up an academy to develop more coaches and, and we've gone from there, really. 
But we started very much at what we call the microsystem level, which is almost at the team level. So working with the, the staff who deliver patient care, how can we kind of understand the system better and make it better? So that's how I sort of got into it. And the, the thing has grown from there. And I, I guess, you know, listening to what you're saying, Steve, there was that the gap that you kind of identified for the Flow Coaching Academy kind of, you know, evolve into was that need for ha having a more collaborative, maybe a more coaching based uh, yeah. model? So this, 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 I think there's two two gaps that that we that we know. It's the first is absolutely what you describe, which is the connection between quality improvement and the front line, but actually the requirement for skills, coaching skills, relational skills, behavioural skills that can support people change the change process. So that improvement is often taught as a kind of technical exercise, and I think what we what we've learned through our last sort of 13 years of, of working on this is um, that, that actually the, the, the behaviours and relationships and dialogue and coaching are, are really important. So I think that's the first gap. The second gap that's, that's kind of special, and I think Tom will probably come on to this around flow coaching, is the fact that care is usually delivered as a pathway to a patient rather than, say, as an individual department. And although we started with the microsystem approach, which was focused on a particular department, a rheumatology outpatient clinic or a, a kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a theatre um, uh, operation or whatever, what we what we, we really understood, started to understand, was actually if you examine the end-to-end -end patient care pathway, then actually the real opportunities for improvement were the interfaces between the systems and the way that the different systems and healthcare providers interacted. And that's where the, the idea of flow coaching comes around, because it actually operates at what we, we would describe as the meso system, the middle system, where patients flow across multiple healthcare providers in the duration of their care delivery. So flow is about bringing together that team coaching approach, i.e. engaging the people at the front line with a kind of relational coaching approach to support the development of, of that service with a look across the end-to-end -end pathway rather than just looking at the microsystem. And, and Tom, how, how important is that kind of blended model on the ground of that kind of coaching and QI and, and, and applying that to whole patient pathway? I think the last 10 years experience will tell us it's fundamentally important. Um, I, during my fellowship year, one of the questions I was challenging myself with was why when we have absolutely amazing quality tools on toolkits on our national um, uh, healthcare websites. So going back to the modernization agency and NHS Institute for Innovation and Improvement, the knowledge and tools that they were able to share from those websites were fantastic. And yet the traction at the front line seemed limited. So there was something missing. And actually, if you, you know, if you walk around a Toyota factory, you can see it, although it's full of cars and looks very technical, they're focusing on getting the human aspect right. And they get you know, as Steve describes, though those coaching skills, um, even though they're making cars and fitting the cars with widgets, it's it's actually getting the human side right, which creates the culture and rhythm of continuous mm -hmm. improvement. So we had some of the ingredients in the NHS, but we were missing others. So 
I was looking for how we translate those missing ingredients back into the NHS. And that's when I spent time with Paul Bertalden and Margie Godfrey at Dartmouth College. And uh, and they had really focused on this. Yes, they were at the microsystem level, but they had appreciated the importance of bringing in team coaching skills alongside the technical aspects of improvement science. And this isn't for a moment dismissing um, you know, the technical and, impro and, and, and improvement science bit. That's fundamentally crucial and during the flow coaching um, training year we take a really deep dive into those technical aspects but it's actually about matching them with the 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 the, the team coaching skills is is where the magic comes the big room is something we've got to talk about um because well, i'm glad you brought it up tom because i um i heard people talk about the big room and 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 so up here, obviously, the Flow Coach Academy is is kind of nationwide, and we'll, we'll touch on that scale up uh, and and spread, but um, in a in a wee while. But I had colleagues that would talk about the big room, and I would kind of nod sagely, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all the way I was thinking, what is a big room? Is it a room that's a certain size? Is it certain dimensions? What what does it actually do? So I would love to have the big room demystified for me. <laughs> Right. Well, it's thirteen meters by twelve. It has to be. <laughs> uh, I wish. Um, so let's go back to its origins. Um, in two thousand and one, Toyota developed a new methodology called the Ubea for testing, prototyping, designing, and launching the two thousand and three Toyota Corolla. And if we wind the clock back in Sheffield to twenty eleven, we were. Um, we diagnosed um, geriatric medicine. We'd you know, undertaken a full system review of it and could see huge opportunity for improving the flow of patient care of, of, of older people through the hospital system. And we saw dramatic complexity. And so we were working with Dartmouth around the microsystem team coaching skills. But actually, this whole care pathway where you'd often start with families and GPs in the community, have hospital aspects to geriatric care. But then, of course, you know, geriatric care doesn't stop with the hospital stay. It's then about the uh, um, social, behavioural, health care, social care, families interacting, maintaining somebody's independence after hospital. Deep complexity. So... Actually, the Ubeya um, was seen to be something that we could potentially translate as a methodology for overcoming that complexity of redesign. So we um, learned as much as we could about um, the Toyota Ubeya and then stripped away everything, stripped away all the Japanese language, all mention of motor cars, but kept the core principles and concepts, which is having improvement, you know, Toyota would call them sense size, um, coaching, um, regular meetings involving the key stakeholders of a car, prototyping and launch. And with a car, it's easy to understand how actually the person designing the engine has got to interact with the person designing the the um, dashboard and 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 the, the the safety systems and the wheels and so on to those to not interact would be madness but by having them prototyping and sharing that prototyping regularly the the components come together and you get a superb product to the the, the the most successful car on the planet in 2003 with the Corolla so we wanted to match that so we invited in who we believe to be the stakeholders um, and so there were um, administration staff nurses therapists gps healthcare staff from the community social care staff from the community and, and uh, of course uh, uh, um, some doctors as well 
the key ingredient potentially though is we also invited patients into the room um okay. we you know, ubeya translates literally to war room um which didn't seem appropriate for healthcare and it translates <laughs> loosely to to big room so you know, <laughs> we we put big room up on the door we chose a room which had lots of football past it um the first big room was fundamentally not big <laughs> it was chosen because it had the right footfall past it of key stakeholders because another theme that has developed is the importance of leadership enablement so your team coaching skills improvement representation of patients and staff from across a care pathway but then leadership to enable the changes to actually happen um, are, are, are the key ingredients of flow coach academy program and so that that the frailty big room started just under 10 years ago and has been um, meeting weekly um, since then and um, some toyota corollas have rolled off the production line in in in, in that room and um, with the concept of discharge to assess the sheffield frailty um, assessment unit all these um, products have been designed by the staff with their patients um, using that combination of team coaching and improvement science and starting each meeting with a patient story and having the patient in the room with us has been fundamentally important um you know patient involvement is i think tricky to achieve it really is um yeah. but it, it, it's really important um and we've seen you know, for example um the concept of discharge to assess started with us in the big room discussing um the current system of older person discharge, how we would undertake a multidisciplinary team assessment to understand somebody's post-acute care needs. Once those the care needs have been defined by an MDT in the hospital, by a multidisciplinary team, I mean, that's the nurses, doctors and therapists working together. And we would then, as a hospital, tell the community staff what the support needs were. were and um, when they said that's all ready, then discharge the patient to that. that. So that's a way of assessing somebody to then discharge them. When we described this in, in, in the big room and discussed it, the patient in the room asked one of those such simple questions that just floors everybody, which yeah. was, why do you assess us on hospital staircases, hospital beds, hospital bathrooms to understand our support needs when actually our staircases, our beds and our bathrooms are nothing like the ones you have in the hospital? Why don't you do it in our ones at home? And... Um, that was profound and I saw things happen. I saw a physiotherapist put her hand up and say, I'd really like to have a go at doing it differently. I saw the clinical director of geriatric medicine say, I would like to give permissions to make this happen, to enable this, to give uh, um, you know, the right governance to this. I saw community staff be a bit scared. They're saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It doesn't work like that. You, know, you can't just change everything. It takes us time to sort these things out. And so we went back to the principle of start small and just said, well, actually, let's just do a PDSA cycle of one patient and see if we can do things differently. And at that point, the community staff relaxed and said, oh, you know, if it's just for one patient, go wild. You know, we'll put in what <laughs> that patient needs. Um, we, you know, let, let's have a go at this. And um, so that PDSA was undertaken. And the next week, that was the patient story starting the next meeting. And the physio um, who undertook that plan to study out cycle reported it out. She said, I didn't think this was going to work. 
She mm. said the patient who was selected was a frail older woman with a early dementia process um, at our assessment area front of the hospital. Our normal process would be to admit her deeper into the hospital, let things settle down, undertake a multidisciplinary team assessment and then let our community colleagues know what was needed. Instead, permissions were gained from the patient and her family and the physio and the patient went in, got into an ambulance and went home and the physio described how as they got home, the patient recognised the front door. As they went through the front door, as the patient grabbed her, her own furniture, the physio said she came alive. And she described how the assessment finished with the patient making her a cup of tea, not the other way around. Oh. And of course, you know, that did the world change? No, of course it didn't. But that PDSA cycle with peers listening to it just gave that little bit of extra confidence and started a learning process of multiple PDSAs. We learned actually it's much better for community member staff to, to meet the patient. Um, we started to collect data, we started to prototype with one of the wards and, and pilot it and we collected lots more data to then be able to write a business plan to implement the, 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 the form of doing that. And um, the concept of assessing to discharge flipped over into discharge to assess and we measured that it took um, over four days of of that assessment time in the hospital out of the hospital and into the patient's own home and um, that's where the patient said they wanted to be that they wanted to be at home if they could be with their families and so the staff in that room were listening to their patient using team coaching skills and improvement science to redesign the care pathway but actually, we also were able to measure and demonstrate that it was fundamentally more efficient. It cost a quarter to look after the patient for those four days in their own home compared to the hospital environment. But of course, the staff weren't designing to save money. They were designing a better patient experience. Yeah. And as we repeatedly find the efficiency and the safety drop out as byproducts of that, you know, what patient doesn't want a safe experience? What patient doesn't want an efficient experience? Um, but in the big rooms, that's what we do. We listen to the patient voice and redesign using improvement science and team coaching to, to achieve that. That just sounds fantastic, Tom. And, and there's a lot, a lot to take away from, from um, what you've just said there. I, I, I mean, a couple of things that jumped out at me is you really, I, I think, translated that, that approach from a different industry into healthcare. Um, really well, and and I think sometimes that's that's the resistance when we offer up um, other industries or, or, or other types of working as as that um, that benchmark, whether it's um, manufacturing or, or or aviation. I really I really um, I like that the involving um, the patient. I think is it sounds like that is opened up so much. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of getting the sense that really the big what the big rooms facilitating is that system wide view and that systems approach to to how you do things. But actually, having that patient in the room seems to have opened up so much for you. And and you went on there to describe a whole host of of kind of changes and assumptions being kind of tested and challenged just on the basis of having a patient say wait a minute that's that's not that's not helpful that doesn't work that what about what about this so i mean that sounds that sounds fantastic and i'm i'm assuming now there are there are big rooms all over um england and and and, and scotland and, and northern ireland steve do you do you want to talk a wee bit about that that kind of spread yeah. of of this work and what tom's described elsewhere 
Yeah, absolutely. So what we noticed, I think, through this was that uh, obviously I talked about the microsystem coaching and we were developing those relational coaches. We were training coaches to go out and work in the organisation. And then we had this big room that was doing amazing work that you just just described across the system. And we tested that again. We did it um, in a respiratory pathway in Sheffield. So we kind of just didn't do it once. We had another go to see if that uh, would work um, well and the respiratory change room which which isn't still running but ran for a number of years early on and um, uh, managed to um, significantly reduce length of stay and um, by multiple small changes actually and there was no big product design with that it was more about iteratively improving um, the way that patients were were uh, reviewed on a daily basis standardization was a lot of the um, things that got involved in terms of standardizing processes on the ward administering um, drugs in a reliable way lots of that kind of stuff went on which again was was successful and what, then what we did was was um thought about what we, the microsystem course was all about and we thought about what we delivered in these sort of two um, pathway improvement um, rooms, these big rooms, and thought can we synthesise this together to build more capability because and clearly the, um, the, there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity here and we were very fortunate again in collaboration with the Health Foundation. I think Tom had written a grant for one of their uh, programmes, was it scaling up, something like that, um, that, uh, that, that basically said um, we will take these sort of two approaches and combine them um, to create a, a year-long action learning programme where we develop pairs of coaches um, a clinician from the pathway plus another person um, who could be a leader or a manager or an improvement person or whatever or, um, to, to work together as a co-coaching pair to establish big rooms in pathways and we originally said that that would be like a regional um, exercise but the Health Foundation came back and said actually we don't want that to be regional we want to support you to set this up as a national capability building program which was just amazing and we must say on this call that Health Foundation have been um, superb in supporting us on this improvement journey and accelerated the learning we would never be where we are without their support um, and so there we established so we then um, that after that, that sort of conversation which worked with Margie Godfrey myself and Tom and uh, um, a colleague who had worked um, done a lot of good work with with Tom in the big room a chap called Paul Harriman um, and from that we, we combined the team coaching approach that Margie had uh, created in the US with the, the frailty and the and the kind of change room method um, and created the, the curriculum, which was a year long action learning program to, to train coaches. And then we invited other organisations to get involved and we started with Bath, uh, Warwick and Sheffield um, and we ran a pilot course uh, over the first year. And it, that that went remarkably well. Um, and then our, our aim with that was to sort of train the trainer. So the colleagues who came from uh, Bath and Warwick, um, the original intention was for them to set up um, academies in their own organisations, um, which did happen with Bath. And then we went out again and went to Northumbria, Imperial, Northern Ireland, Scotland, St George's, Birmingham, across the whole of the UK over a number of years, I suppose, where people travelled to Sheffield, we trained faculty of six to ten uh, members from their organisations as flow coaches. They went back in their own organisations and set up big rooms and learned how to do the programme. And then the following year, we then supported them to set up the, the academies in their own organisations. So it's kind of train the trainer and the the kind of the approach was also that the people who came on the course applied the learning in the big room so they'd actually 
experience running a big room. They understood how to do it and so on. So that's been kind of the almost the social franchising approach that we've used to kind of scale up the program across the UK. And all that was going swimmingly well, I suppose, until uh, until COVID <laughs> came along. Yeah. So uh, you're describing there a, a year-long kind of um, immersive program. And I actually had some colleagues, I think it was 2000 and. 14 um, came down to, to Sheffield. They would be more in the train journeys from Scotland down to Sheffield to do, to do the course. But I know they get they get a huge amount out, out of it. But how how is how is delivery of this um how how is continuation of this um programme happened over the last you know 15 months? Um I, I assume it's all moving online, you're doing it over via Teams and Zoom. I'll let Tom talk about this. So it's been in. Um, I mean, I'm a geriatrician, so um, middle of March last year, I put up my hand and volunteered to um, be redeployed. And so, for for two months, I I went and worked on our frailty assessment unit. And um, it was you know, the word unprecedented has been used you know, uh, repeatedly, but it it truly was. Um, it was um, frightening and uh, humbling and a privilege to work with, especially the nursing staff in Sheffield. They were so brave. Um, and Steve and I were leading a programme of 18 days face-to-face -face training over a year, setting up face-to-face -face big rooms where people met physically on a weekly basis. And somehow um, that seemed unlikely to be happening in as the, as the new normals would be settling down. So, um, I, I, I was going through a grieving process for the programme as well, I think, whilst I was coated in PPE through through that horrible first wave. Um, the rest of the, the FCA team also got redeployed to driving lorries of PPE and things around things, but they got back before I did um, to, to, to the programme. And um, they rolled up their sleeves and did something amazing. Um, Again, we were lucky, and I'll share why we were lucky, because just before COVID um, happened, we'd undertaken a survey of the coaches across the UK, um, asking them how the programme could be improved. And the key feedback was um, they wanted um, opportunity to be able to network more effectively, share their case studies more effectively, thereby being able to learn together. So we'd already undertaken an option appraisal of a digital platform to be able to help achieve that. And um, we'd, we'd chosen Workplace um, before the pandemic hit. So when the team got back, they rolled up their sleeves and, uh, as you're suggesting, um, initiated the transformation of the programme into the digital and virtual world. And that has achieved three things. Um, the first one is um, we're now seeing people do, be able to do what the coaches had asked for, be able to share and see what they're doing and uh, uh, interact more easily um, asynchronously when it's right for them um, on, on, on this digital networking platform. Secondly, the training programme has been translated into um, online um, uh, modules but maintaining the essence. So all the content remains there, 
but one of you know, when we talk about team coaching actually the experiential and action learning through the year with the faculty um, at each of the monthly learning sessions was fundamentally important so we've maintained that but on a, on a video virtual platform so the 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 faculty still get to interact with the coaches through their training um, on month on monthly um, calls in just the same way but the actual content the coaches can undertake when it's best for them um, with the online modules and then thirdly the actual intervention itself has been translated so from june last year the frailty big room um, as the first big room moved online so instead of you know so you know you, we come back to that question what's a big room well you know, not only is it you know, no longer a physical space where the concept was big rather than the size, it, it is now um, no longer a physical space because we can now build a big room um, on the digital platform virtually and meet um, using video conferencing. And it works, <laughs> which is really helpful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it doesn't just work, but, um, you know, at every level taking the geography out of the training and out of the big rooms is helpful even if it's working so take the frailty big room for example the 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 patient who's attending at the moment um he 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 you know he's it savvy he flips open his laptop in his loft space and presses the button and he's there in the meeting with us um and you know, uh, I, you know i won't mention his age but um he wouldn't want to come into a healthcare environment at the moment and he certainly yeah. hasn't wanted to leave his home for a large part of the last year so that lowering the threshold for patient involvement has been fantastic, but also for the community staff. So um, uh, we have a GP commissioner um, who, who, who often attends, and for him it was a three-hour commitment to be involved in the big room. An hour's journey and parking across town, an hour's meeting, and then, then the same travel back. Now, whether he's in his GP practice or in the CCG, he just flicks the switch and there he is in the meeting. So mm -hmm. that, that's been brilliant. Um, We've also seen that um, we interact more now in between the weekly meetings. So we've seen planning for PDSA cycles move forward much more rapidly than the, you know, we thought we were doing quite well with the continuous improvement of achieving a weekly rhythm. We can now see things happen daily and in hours on, 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 on digital platforms. So the thresholds have reduced and the speed and acceleration has increased. And so part of us is kicking ourselves. Why on earth didn't we do this before? And um, <laughs> You know, the, the, um, you know, you'll have some Scottish listeners who, who will be saying, yes, we told you you should have done this before. <laughs> and um, we're going to show the humility and say, you were right. Um, uh, but something else changed, of course, during COVID. Um, so that uh, the, 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 the NHS workforce um, were also in lockdown with their families. And so yeah. the proportion of people who suddenly started Zoom calling with their elderly relatives, doing on family quizzes and all this sort of thing, um, I think in that first, from March to May last year, in those three months, our resistance to IT and video conferencing um, melted away such that I think we made 10 years progress in those three months. So effectively, the workforce has become ready for this way of working, this way of QI training, and this way of delivering QI intervention. And um, so uh, ironically, you know, as a geriatrician, I say this COVID has been absolutely awful but it's probably been a really good thing for the Flow Coach Academy program because it's triggered a transformation that has strengthened the program. Yeah, I think um, there'll be some nudge theory in there around um, that 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 kind of use of um, 
virtual teams and Zoom and, and the impact that it's had because lots of people talk, uh, talk when I have conversations with them about capacity capability activities moving online about the amount of barriers that it removes for people so it's actually increasing engagement and it's actually I think what you're describing there as well is that it puts a little bit more of the responsibility onto the learner to go away and do things and and, and of course um, if you're like me you've got you've got teams and different things on your iPad and all this so all of a sudden you get notifications so when somebody updates a a, a document or a report or a plan to do something you think oh I, I, I better I better get my myself in gear and get some things so, some things uh, underway so yeah it's great at keeping that that pace and and, uh, and that going up so I suppose is is that the is that going to be the future of the program more digital or are you hoping to kind of get into a, a hybrid uh, model in the future Steve Thanks. Um, yeah, so um, the, where we are currently, um, Jonathan, is that uh, the we're up and running again, and we're using currently the the sort of full e-learning approach, um, which has been a combination of the sort of online learning plus um, collaborative um, sort of webinar sessions, um, and periodically through the program, and that's going to be the approach that we're going to be using. However, we have got other colleagues across the FCA network that are testing um, or have ideas to test other things, which is to um, use the sort of e-learning approach and then have some face-to-face -face meetings when we're allowed to do it and to bring the cohort together, for example, at the beginning to build relationships and do kind of a celebration at the end. So I think it's going to be really interesting. It, what the, the this development has given us is a whole new degree of flexibility to make the course as effective as possible, but also um, build pe bring people together from a much wider footprint and probably reduce some of the overheads and time that's required as well to, to run a program. It is an immersive program, but it can be delivered in a much more flexible way. So I think it's going to be really interesting. But the way that we're testing it at the moment is is the, the the approach that we've described and we're working with um, uh, Kings and Barnett and Enfield and some coaches in Sheffield to try that and I suppose our next step as well is to restart and support the restart of many of the other academies and um, uh, Lancashire have been um, fantastic they've they've kept going um, bravely through it all really and uh, and kept going which has been great and they've they've favoured um, more of a full day sort of video conferencing approach which um, has been very successful for them and we've learned a lot from them but, but a number of other organisations Northumbria Imperial Northern Ireland are chomping at the bit I think to get going again and we'll be supporting them to use the new model so so that's what's next is to help the restart I suppose of the programme using what we've learned. Tom? Tom do you want to come in? I mean, this is such an exciting time for the programme, as you know, Steve's describing there. Um, and there's things which were almost impossible 15 months ago, which are now possible. You know, we're, we're, we're about to start working with NHS England's um, Dementia Network um, on a programme across all seven of the English regions, um, supporting them develop some um, uh, improvement capability to improve dementia care. And we're going to be able to do that simultaneously across all seven regions without anybody booking a train ticket or a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And um, not only that, but be able to share information more effectively. I think it is hugely exciting, the potential of this. 
Um, and I, I just, I mean, I was on a call with, um, I was contacted by some people in Sydney, Australia um, recently. They're wanting to know about some of the um, frailty geriatric redesign um, that's been undertaken in the programme. And um, at the end of the call, because um, obviously big rooms and, and, and flow coaching had come up in the call, they said, um, is this available um, internationally, this course? And of course, the answer's always been um, no, because it would just be unfeasible. <laughs> But suddenly, maybe the answer isn't no. Um, and so, you know, when we say geography, you know, starts to become irrelevant, um, it, it, it really does. And I think we're going to see different mixes of face-to-face -face and digital to make the hybrid fit right for the context of the piece of work. But um, the, the boundaries have definitely um, reduced with this. I mean, that that just sounds fantastic. Um, so, Steve, I wonder if, if people who are not involved want to know a wee bit more about the, the Flow Coaching Academy, is there a, is there a website or a, a Twitter handle they could follow? Yeah, there is. Um, so the best place to go and start um, finding out more about uh, Flow Coaching is go to our website, which is uh, flowcoaching.academy, as, as simple as that. So if you uh, go to that um, uh, website, you can you can you can find um, information, case studies. Um, there's there's a, a learning report that was commissioned by the Health Foundation that was that's been published that you can download there. And, and there's a contact us um, link. So and we have uh, basically basically all all of the information that you would need to understand what the flow coaching is. There's there's sheets that you can download on what is a big room what's the flow roadmap all, all the stuff that, that you would need and um, there is also if you go there you can see our, our twitter feed as well and link to it straight from there so that's where i would go flowcoaching.academy simple as that well thank you very much uh, to tom and steve uh, for for um giving up your time uh, and, and knowledge um today it's been hugely um informational and, and, and inspirational I think talking about the next steps there your passion and your excitement is coming through so thank you very much both of you thanks for the opportunity thank you thanks once again to Tom and Steve uh, for taking the time to have a conversation with me I'm sure if anything you took away from that conversation it was the passion um, that both Tom and Steve have for the work that they're doing through the Flow Coaching Academy and the work they're doing locally in Sheffield and across the UK. And as Tom mentioned there at the end of the interview, they're now actually looking at how they can deliver this further afield. The links to everything we spoke about in the show are going to be in the show notes, so please access those, but also have a look on uh, the uh, Twitter account at the QI underscore guy. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Remember to uh, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at the QI underscore guy and also at Jonathan O underscore QI. I've been gathering a little uh, crew if you like and, and we're looking at doing something interesting over the next um, couple of weeks and months so um, keep your eyes peeled for that there's a few polls up on twitter if you haven't taken part in, in them get involved and let us know what you think and and we'll be in touch so until next time take care